0: When laughing, laugh from your heart. There is no joy in intellectual laughter. Indeed, such laughter often becomes only a snicker of disdain. It's a very interesting statement from Swamiji. Intellectual laughter. I I think what he's talking about is, is laughter. Intellectual disdain is kind of like a kind of mocking laughter that, you know, people are not people's foolishness, but offered not with love, not, not with a God's eye view, to trying to help them be better, but rather from the point of view of superiority that sometimes intellectual or intelligent people can exercise toward the rest of the world. Swamiji laughed a lot, and he laughed very easily. He, he, wasn't, uh, he wasn't light-minded, if by that I mean he wasn't superficial. Some people laugh a lot because they're always moving on the surface, and you, they they kind of like to keep things riled up and on the surface of things. In the context of Ananda, where I live and have lived for all my adult life, you know, we're we're essentially very serious-minded people. We we have embraced uh, an overarching divine purpose for life. Life is not just to enjoy ourselves and get what we can and have the experiences that we want. Um, I and most of those who are dedicated to Ananda, the example set, both by Master and by Swamiji, is that we have an obligation to serve. And I certainly have felt that from the beginning of my meeting Swami, which was in 1969. I felt that I had been brought into the company and I was witness of, witness to something of, of great importance to the future of the world and that was the incarnation of this particular individual, Kriyananda, because of his direct association with Yogananda and because of who he, he, he was and is in himself. And I was 22 when I met him in 24 when I moved to Ananda village and from a very early time um, in my life at Ananda I worked very closely with them he invited me to work as his secretary. The more accurate word these days would be personal assistant, because my duties far transcended what you think of as secretarial. They included that, but it was more than that. And for all the years of my life, including now, although Swamiji left his body in 2013, so the last seven years have been different. Um, I've I've always been in very close communication with him, in person on the telephone, through email. Uh, when it, when I lived in different countries or different communities from him, I would travel to make sure that at least several times a year I would get to spend several weeks with him. And I always knew that I was witnessing something that was not meant just for me. I've written two books about him now. This is the latest and most serious one. I'd like to hold it up. It's called Light Bearer, 45 years of very close association with Swami. And an attempt, much of the book is in his own words, just an attempt to really give you a feeling for what he was like. Because as we set our feet on the spiritual path one way or another, when the thought penetrates deep enough that life has a higher purpose and that the fulfillment that we're seeking in our lives will come to us when we live in harmony with that higher purpose that higher purpose is to become more attuned ourselves to super consciousness, to become, and then to become instruments of that superconscious vibration in everything that we do. Whether we live humbly, whether we live in obscurity, whether we are the most prominent person on the planet, the one meaningful thing that we're doing is we are elevating our own consciousness, to a higher vibration of superconsciousness, And then we are opening ourselves to be an instrument of that vibration in everything that we do. The marvelous thing about this is it keeps you very busy because there's really not a moment in life, there's not a circumstance in life when this is not the opportunity. So it's not like some professions or some life goals where you sort of have to wait before you can do it again i've I've been very impressed with some of my friends who are very dedicated musicians, um, this one woman that I know particularly, I said to her, and she agreed completely. I said, "I get the feeling about you is that you just pass the time until you can play music again. And then when you play music, that's when your life happens, and in between, you sort of act like you're kind of on an intermission. And she laughed and said, "That's exactly how it is. Music is reality to her and everything else is the, the time in between. Now, she's also a very serious devotee, but nonetheless, music is who she is. So, it's also actually, it's a fair analogy that our, um, our the, the, the true purpose of our lives, um, it, it, there's never a time, as I was starting to say, when what you're doing will not contribute or take away from that. It's even true for a musician. Everything that they do, whether they get enough sleep, whether they're in a bad mood, whether they um, take care of their body, what diet they follow, all of it is important for them to be able to do what they're trying to do. And so, with us. So, watching Swamiji, having that opportunity to see a really highly advanced, direct disciple of Master live his life as I observed it um, in many, many, many different circumstances. You know, in good fortune and bad, and in in easy days and hard days, in different countries and different settings, I really got to see. Oh, this is this is what it looks like. So where I was coming from was, laughter was a very very big part of of Swamiji's life, and he actually said it was a very big part of Master's life. He said Master was just so charming was the word he used. He said it, it's sort of hard when he was talking about a God-realized master who was his guru. He, he didn't want to trivialize who master was. But part of master's ex- extraordinary appeal, Swamiji said, was that he was just so wonderful as a human being. And he said he was very humorous, very humorous, very witty, and very much enjoyed laughter But his laughter didn't imitate. It wasn't a a dry laughter that came from the frontal lobe of the brain. It was a a feeling of joy and enjoyment of of the extraordinary leela of God. leela which is the divine play, just looking at this world from God's point of view. And God's point of view is always tender and loving and forgiving and supportive. You know, we are all equally dear to the divine. That's very hard to understand. The greatest saint and the worst criminal are equally dear to God because we are all equally a manifestation of Satchitananda. So it's not that God loves one more than another, but one is more able to receive that love because the saint has put his own consciousness in attunement with the divine flow and therefore he, he's able to merge more of himself. Every part of him that is in attunement with that divine flow can merge in that divine flow. So most of him, or all of him, all the discernableness of him is, is in, in completely in tune and is therefore an expression of that divine flow. The worst criminal, who has bitterness and anger in his heart and feels the need to strike out to others and imagines that he is completely separate and the suffering of others has nothing to do with him, his vibration does not match um, Divine Mother's vibration. That's not how she feels toward her children. So only very little or effectively none of him can actually merge with the Divine. So it appears that he has less of God but he doesn't. He's just le- able to receive less of God. There was a, a, a famous story about some terrible criminal from maybe the 1920s who, you know, was in shootouts with the police and finally died in a shootout. And he, he was a murderer and a, a very um, actively evil man. But he, he, at, when they found his body, he'd written a note he said, I have been much understood, you know, within this body beats the heart of a kind and gentle man. I mean, amazing. He was, you know, he was killed by the police, and he was trying to kill policemen policeman when he was shot. But his own sense of himself, which was more true than what he was expressing, was that kindness, because we are all children of God. So when we become closer to that vibration of our own, then we have that same kindly feeling toward everyone we meet. We we see everyone is doing their best to move into that vibration of bliss, even if they're terribly misguided, even if the appropriate response to them is a stern, even a punishing one, it doesn't necessarily change the way the heart feels. And it's when we live in that reality where we see everything as a manifestation of God that's when true, kindly humor even can find a way to express itself. In what Swami is talking about, this intellectual disdain, it's its when one thinks of oneself as superior and others as being inadequate and the humor is, is their stupidity, or the humor is stupidity, that somebody would actually believe such a thing. And you can sort of hear that kind of joke, can you imagine, you know, they actually think like this. And that was the intellectual disdain that um, settlers that uh, European settlers or settlers from other countries who would come into a, a country well like America when it was first settled and see the native people. Now, it was true that by that point in time, um, the civilization of the native people on American soil, they themselves knew that the golden age of their people had already passed. But there was great nobility among those people and great, and great, profound understanding of truths that the European settlers couldn't even imagine. And yet, many, not all, but many of those settlers just held them in disdain, and mocked their habits or criticized them worse, but just thought they were humorous, what they did, because it it was that kind of disdain. Whereas Master could see, even when people were behaving against their own interest. It was always kindly and it was always and then he could he could rejoice in the human comedy and laugh with Divine Mother at the extraordinary foibles of human beings. But then he could love them completely. There was never a touch of disdain. So Swamiji always encouraged us toward kindly humor and kindly laughter. He was very fond of P. G. Woodhouse. And he often would read to us uh, P.G. Woodhouse stories. P.G. Woodhouse is a British humorist and is thought by many of the great writers in the English language to be one of the greatest writers in the English language. He was absolutely brilliant in his use of language. But what Swamiji said, what really made him a great writer, as Swami put it, is he had a God's eye view of humanity. And even his humor, it was always enjoying the human comedy, rather than sneering at it. And when Swamiji himself would laugh, I mean, literally, his laughter, you know, the concept of a belly laugh. But a belly laugh isn't just sort of letting yourself go. It's when the joy rises up and comes out of you. You know, in, in yoga, we talk about energy rising up the spine. That's what we're trying to do with our meditation and our yoga practice. We're trying to raise the energy up the spine. And when you think of a belly laugh, it starts lower down on the spine and of its own, it literally like a bubble rising. It just rises up until it expresses. And when that kind of laughter comes out, it's a lifting up into the divine light, whereas the intellectual frontal lobe is kind of a put a putting down of others. And it even has a brittle sound to it. Swami Kriyananda's laugh was so memorable and so just rich in the sound of it. There's some recordings of him reading P.G. Woodhouse stories, and like a good actor, most of the time he would try to hold himself straight. But every so often, the sheer delight of the comedy would overcome him. And in the middle of reading his story, he would just have to put the book down and just, we would laugh and he would laugh. And that's when you really, really feel, literally, you feel the energy just rising up Swamiji's spine. And just bursting out is this great, uncontainable bubble of joy. That's who we're trying to be. So in, in Master's poem about cosmic consciousness, Samadhi, it's a long, beautiful poem describing what it is to be one with everything. And the last line is, a tiny bubble of laughter, I have become the sea of mirth itself. A tiny bubble of laughter, I have become the sea of mirth itself. That is the end of everything. Isn't that glorious? So Swami says, when laughing, laugh from your heart. There is no joy in intellectual laughter. Indeed, such laughter often becomes only a snicker of disdain. God bless you, my friends.